Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wiley, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast that takes the ooh out of taboo, which is offered by our amazing guest today, who you will soon meet. But first, as always, please keep your sexy thoughts about me and our guest to yourselves, no matter how wonderfully perverted they are. Go listen to the outro if you want to know how to connect and enjoy. Our guest today is a 29-year-old gender-indifferent bisexual, a solo poly person, trained Catholic, converted Jew, and currently sex-spiritual, who uses she, her, or they, them pronouns. A dominant-leaning switch, they are currently in a DS relationship on the S side of the slash, and they also have a long-term friend with benefits. She is also currently a cuckold dress and is training a submissive online. There are very few kinks that they don't like, but their favorites are heavy impact play rope, dacrophilia, or as I say, decryphilia, because making people cry, exhibitionism, sensory play, and religion, a sex-slash-kink education enthusiast and an artist-writer who lives in central Ohio. Welcome, Jenna. Hi! Hi! Start out by telling our sweet listeners if you had to rate yourself on a sexual shame-a-meter today, with ten being super full of shame and one being not so shamey at all, where do you fall now? How far into the negatives can I go? Like, negative... As far as you want. Okay. Negative infinity? <laughs> Should we do negative yeah. infinity? Amazing. Can you say a few words about why? Like, how does that feel in your body? Or like, you're just not shamey. That's great. So it's been interesting because it's not really something I've ever been ashamed of. But I've, over the years, have felt some shame because I don't feel ashamed. <sighs> yeah. So there's been a lot of that. You know, I'm always willing to talk about it and always willing to share. And I love sharing my knowledge and experience with other people. So why would I be ashamed of that? Totally. I mean, it's very interesting. It's a very specific type of shame to be ashamed about not feeling shame. And I can relate to that. Although I think I just like wore it as shame about everything for a while. Can you tell us a little overview of what your sex life is like right now and your favorite parts? Oh my gosh, right now. So I'm really active in the swinging community in my town. And partially that's because one of the only venues that we have for events is a swingers club. So I just happened to accidentally get involved in the swinging community because I was going to events there. But I have an amazing dominant who is generally just down to explore pretty much whatever with me. And we have amazing sex all the time. And he also is in an open relationship. And I have gotten to have sex with his girlfriend quite a few times. And she is kind of on the switchy side with me. So we get to play with some dynamics there that are really cool. You know, I've kind of started getting a little more into being a little more open with everyone. So my sex life has always been something that I've kind of kept from my family. Mm. But I'm slowly kind of working my way, you know, posting things on my socials and stuff like that. So I'm kind of easing them into, hey, this is who I am. Okay. In like a swinger specific way or more like kinky or is it all one for you? Just all one. It's okay. all kind of for me so amazing i think the big one was when i started posting rope suspensions on my instagram that was the one that warranted a phone call from my mom to ask me why i was posting that on the internet okay can you tell us what is sexy to you it's more of a feeling than anything else like i don't know if i have specific words for it but a lot of it is when i'm seeing someone like be passionate about something or just be excited about something or be confident or it's like this feeling I get on the inside that's just kind of warm and bubbly and it's just like oh that's hot like that's sexy I'm into that and there's never really one specific thing that triggers it 
So it's just very much like in this moment, this is sexy. Totally. Fuck yeah. I love that. Similarly, what counts as sex for you? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) If it has sexy intent, it's sex for me. Even if it like is sexy intent that doesn't click, does that still count? Or is that just like, like, have you had any awkward triumphs? I'd say it still counts because you're still trying. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, great. yeah, I love that. I love that playful attitude toward it as well. Because it's like, that is sexy. Like, all of it. Yes, I love that. There's a couple that I regularly play with. Like, we have the most fun together. Like, we were just together this past weekend. And the male partner and I, like, we did not have penetrative sex the entire time. But I still consider it having sex because we were all giggling and rolling around and naked and, you know, having all that fun touching and all of those things. So, like, that's still sex. I love it. Yes, it's sex. And, like, yeah, a threesome is not not a threesome because every hole didn't get penetrated. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Did you ever get an explicit health and safety talk or lesson from a trusted adult growing up or a lesson on consent? I did not. Never an explicit one. No. You know, when I was growing up, especially in my family, there was a lot of like, you hug so-and-so because they're your family. So it was almost kind of the opposite of that. Like, you know, even if you don't want to be touched, these people are still going to touch you. I knew that I wasn't supposed to be touched by strangers or anything like that, but there was never that kind of like explicit, you have permission to tell people no conversation. Okay. Now, as an adult, could you give us one example, I suspect you may have more, of a time where you said a very clear yes to something sexy that led to a very awesome experience? I had a dominant when I was 18. And he was very, very much my senior by almost 40 years. So (laughs) yes, he was the main person that taught me the most about consent, I think. And anytime we would play together, he would start out the scene by specifically telling me what he was going to do to me during the entire scene, because I was also new to kink at this point, too. So he would walk through the entire scene from start to finish. And at the end, I, you know, I would be all hot and bothered and ready to go. And he would say, is that okay? Can I do those things to you? I was like, that was basically the whole scene right there. Like, I didn't need anything else on top of that. (laughs) But that was a big one that was like, yes, I can say no. And if I said no, like he would ask me, is there something specific? Is it? And then we would sit and discuss. So Mm. it never led to anything negative when I said no. And then when I said yes, it was obviously generally very fun. So talk about a very clear, concrete example of how talking about sex ahead of time is in fact a turn on. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Wow. Also, I'm so glad to hear that he was so careful with you at such a tender new age. Like, beautiful. So what happens? Well, we know what's going to happen here. What happens to your shame meter when it's time to talk to new partners about safer sex? How do your ideal versions of those conversations go? Oh, I would say my shame meter doesn't change anymore. It used to. I used to get uncomfortable. I wouldn't necessarily say it was ashamed of anything, but it was very uncomfortable for yeah, me at first. Totally. Ooh, that's a good, thank you for pointing out that nuance. Maybe I should rephrase yeah. the question. Yeah. So, but now I don't get uncomfortable about it at all because boundaries are a big thing that has come up in the past four to five years for me and setting boundaries and using them for myself and for other people. 
so to have that conversation is just a, Hey, this is my boundary. If our boundaries don't align with each other, like we don't need to pursue this. So generally when I have the conversation, I say, I lay it all out. This is what I'm into. This is what I like. I have the protection conversation, what that looks like for both of us. And I'm flexible. Like I don't have a hard and fast rule on that generally, but then that leads into, you know, when were you last tested? Is there anything I need to know or worry about or anything that would affect these protection wishes that I just communicated with you? So yeah, that's been one of the best ways I've been communicating that because I've tried so hard to get away from the clean and yeah. vice versa. And I'll generally teach partners if they say they're clean, I'll say, hey, can we say this instead? What do you say? I've heard clear. What do you like to use? I just generally will ask if there's anything that would affect affect our use of protection or our protection choices. Okay. I try to be really, really clear with people because I also have had so many boundary crossings in general. I get worried that sometimes people may not be clear on indirect words. I will I usually know. ask follow-up questions Great. if I get kind of a weird vibe on their their response to that. So nice. like if I say, is there anything that you know, would concern me or should concern me. And they're like, well, like, what exactly concerns you? I'm like, what are you trying to communicate here? Yeah, that's great. (laughs) So yeah, I will always ask a follow up question if I'm not 100% confident in the response. Are you usually the initiator of these conversations? Or does it just depend? Most of the time? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I'm noticing trends here. Okay. So take us back to your formative sexual years. When do you first remember hearing about sex and having it enter your sphere as a thing? I don't know if I have a like distinct memory of hearing about sex for the first time, but I do very distinctly remember playing doctor with one of my neighbors a lot. And a lot of it was more self-exploration than like, you know, let me touch you here or anything like that. It was another like neighbor girl who was also my age. And it was just a lot of like, oh, this feels good. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I ever really like heard a specific, this is what sex is. Mm. But I've just kind of taught myself over the years, which I think also kind of lends into this like fluid definition of sex that I have. I never had sex ed. I never had that quote unquote talk with my parents. Like I had a lot of guy friends. So a lot of the information I got growing up was just hearing them talk and joke about sex and It took until probably around the time I started having sex for me to be like 100%. This is what sex is. (laughs) Okay. Had you explored your own body at all at that point? Like when did you start kind of like doing more exploration than doctor? So I think I would say probably middle school. There was a lot of like touching myself and things like that. I wouldn't say that I properly, quote unquote, had an orgasm until I was in college, but I actually used to be able to make myself squirt without coming. And I did it because I didn't really know what was going on, but I knew it felt good. And then that happened. And so I did that a lot. And then once I got to college, I was like, oh, squirting's a thing. Wow. Can I ask how you make yourself squirt? It takes a lot of like a G spot and then clit stimulation, like in that order. So interesting. So not simultaneous. So it's like G spot then clit. Yeah, one then the other. Okay. Is it like a splooshy squirt where it all comes out, or is it like a pew? It's kind of both. It just depends on 
how intense it is. Wow, that's amazing. Is that like a party trick you break out now? Or you said you used to, do you still do it? Not on purpose most of the time now. I actually generally try to avoid telling people that I can do that because a lot of, especially, you know, cishet men that I hook up with find out that I can squirt and that's their goal of the session is to make it happen. And like, it's not always entirely pleasure like i always enjoy it but it's not always getting me there but then once it happens they're like oh we're done now so right it's like when the focus is to make you squirt it's a different focus from pleasure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like cool that you checked that box but like what are we really here for yeah right okay so you didn't get very much information and ended up without the shame somehow, even in the face of Catholicism. Were you given abstinence training or like you were trained Catholic? So what was that like for you? So, yes, the one abstinence education that I received was not a specifically you should not have sex talk. It mm-hmm. was a these are the consequences of having sex and therefore the consequences of that. It was this video that they showed us in middle school, and I will never, ever forget it. I have not been able to find it on the internet, and I wish I could. Like, anyone listening, just help me find this video. It was almost like Rosemary's (laughs) Baby-esque. And it had totally clips of the heart playing in the background. (laughs) And there were all these situations that, like, this woman had sex and got pregnant with Satan's baby. And he came and, like ripped the baby out of her when it was time for her to go into labor. And it was all just this very aggressive, like it was like a poorly shot horror movie. So it almost made a joke out of like, wow. Yeah, it was a lot. (laughs) I still get a little sweaty when I hear total eclipse of the heart. (laughs) Dude, you're inspiring inside of me a desire to go collect all the sex ed videos and just watch them and just be like, what? and then talk to the people who made them and be like, what were the circumstances that led to this? Please let me know. Like what? The people that made that one, I want to be like, what drugs did you do? Like what combination of drugs caused this video to come into existence? I feel like there's very conservative people funding an artist who somehow talks them into something. I don't know. I feel like that's just a very funny. Wow. Okay. It was someone that just wanted to direct a movie. (laughs) Okay, so you got that, but it sounds like it was still okay for you to maybe touch other people. When did you start exploring with partners? I think I kissed a boy for the first time in like the third grade. Mm -hmm. And then I kissed a girl for the first time in the sixth grade. The sixth grade was kind of when I started touching other people. So we had these like fire escapes in between our classrooms. And my sixth grade boyfriend and I would sneak off to the fire escape and make out. I think he fingered me once there too. So like at school in the fire escape, (laughs) because why not? So you were never worried about Satan impregnating you. Were you worried about kissing other girls? Like it sounds like you necessarily didn't get homophobic messages. No, I never got anything that was anti or pro and kind of anything surrounding sex. So I think we never really had the homophobia and stuff because just a lot of people weren't out. It was such a small town that there wasn't anyone to be like, oh, we don't like gay people. Like, look at those gay people over Mm -hmm. there. Okay. What were the next steps in your sexual unfolding? Like partners, what were the big explorations of your formative years after, (laughs) after the fingering on the fire escapes? 
it's kind of weird to think about, like now that I'm thinking about it in this context, because like everything that I've had kind of formatively around sex, again, makes me feel like I should be ashamed, Hmm. but I'm not because like my next big sexual experience after that was when like trigger warning here was when I was assaulted my freshman year of high school by my best friend's boyfriend. So like that was my next and it was very like, in a very high school fashion, like I told my best friend that this happened. She called me a slut for sleeping with her boyfriend. And there was a whole ordeal that like broke up our friendship and everything because of that. So like to have negative consequences to like my first big sexual, big sexual experience. Yeah. That's kind of weird to think about because I like, it's not something that I've feel ashamed about. So like, I'm still glad I told her, even though that relationship ended or whatever. So so after that happened, did you seek help? Like, what did you do to take care of yourself? It sounds like you're in a very different space. Yeah, I think I just had enough people around me. I mean, it was hard for a while. Like that on top of the general teenage angst and all of that stuff, I was very depressed for a while and self-harmed. And I had another boy that I met that knew about my self-harm and he was kind of This is going to sound really terrible in the way that I'm going to say it, but he kind of like introduced me to let me harm you in a good way instead Mm. of you harming yourself. So I had a really good introduction to kink that way, I think, because I was like, oh, we have these really heavy feelings that need to come out. Yes what is a way that we can make that happen without hurting ourselves? Because I never, like when I did self-harm and things, it wasn't because I wanted to hurt myself. It was just because, you know, I wanted those feelings to come out and I didn't like the idea of doing it or the action of doing it. So having those healthier means of expression of those emotions was something that was huge in me developing coping mechanisms for all these big things I was going through. Absolutely. Was that the partner that you mentioned previously that was several decades older? No, that was just a high school boyfriend. Okay, cool. Okay, so you started exploring in kinky ways in high school. Yeah, so I, by high school definition, was a huge slut in high school. And I think a lot of it was kind of attributed to that boyfriend because he was two years older than me, I think, and we met my freshman year. So he had a lot just different, views on sex than your average high schooler did. So he was the one that kind of introduced me to open relationships and, you know, all these outside of the norm things. So he was encouraging me to sleep with other people while we were together and things like that. Like we were in marching band together in the most stereotypical fashion. So band camp. Yes. (laughs) I went to orchestra camp, not quite as hot, but still. Okay. Same thing. We were both on the drum line together. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Yes. So we would sneak off at band camp and during band practices. You know, I think a lot of my exhibition tendencies were kind of nurtured during that time because we would like hook up in all these like risque places where we could get caught or whatever on the stage in the auditorium and like on the band bus or any of those places. So he was just open to kind of exploring whatever. So like, I didn't even have a lot of internet access or anything, but it was just like, this thing's kind of cool and I can see how that would be sexy. So let's try it. Was it your ideas or his or just a mixture? 
Kind of both. Okay. Yeah. He ended up being a little, a little abusive toward the end of it, which was why I ultimately broke things off. It's funny to think about now because a lot of it is stuff that I'm into now, but he was pushing a lot of the boundaries that I had set that were, you know, kind of dangerous. It was a lot of like edge play stuff that now as an adult, I'm like, I understand the risks of this, but as a 15 year old, I very much did not. (laughs) So it was just a boundary that I set at that time that, you know, he was like, no, I want to do this thing. So then that was when I ultimately broke things off. Got it. Okay. I mean, it sounds like young you was wise and knowing what she needed or didn't need. And that's pretty fucking cool. Did you guys ever get caught in the places where you could have gotten caught? By fellow classmates a couple of times, but never by like an adult that was going to get us in trouble. Okay. (laughs) What else about your formative years do we need to know? What came next? I think a lot of my dominance actually kind of came about at that point in time too just because like while I was having all these other partners I know for a fact I slept with over 150 people before I graduated high school so between my freshman and senior year a lot of them were people that like were in the same friend groups and being in high school I didn't want them all to be discussing me in the locker room Mm -hmm. so I was very much I had conversation so it helped a lot with my communication and asserting myself in that fashion that was hey, I like to do this thing with you, but if you go tell your friends about it, we're not going to do it anymore. Yeah. So I had a lot of those conversations. So that kind of, I think, helped develop me into me today. So Okay. Wow. I'm curious what size town or community you come from, because 150 in a smallish community is a percentage. Yeah. There were 400 people in my high school. <laughs> Total or in your class? Total. Okay. Wow. Were there other schools nearby or was it just like a one high school sort of place? There were some other schools nearby, but for the most part, it was it was my high school. Was there a part of you that got a thrill out of, it sounds like a lot of the people maybe respected the agreements. Was that fun for you? Yeah. I had one who didn't and he sent a picture of my boobs to the entire school, but my face was not in it. So we were bounced back from that really quickly. Okay. And now I'm like, I know it's out there. I'm not going to run for political office anyway. So I'm waiting till the day where we don't actually care because it's like, hopefully the politicians have sex. Otherwise, they're going to make some really fucked up laws. And maybe that's part of the problem. Yeah. But now I'm out here like purposely putting nudes on the Internet. So yes, yes. Do you do that in a way that we should know about? I post it on FetLife usually. Nice. Yeah, I have a lot of stuff on there that's just writing and art and just whatever I kind of feel like in that moment. So beautiful. So you had the kinky high school boyfriend, the guy that you met when you were 18, was that in high school or after high school or kind of like what came next? It was after high school. It was my freshman year of college. We actually met on FetLife. So like you and your former master, I had discovered this website existed and, you know, some of my friends were talking about it, not in a like, hey, we should go join this, but in a, hey, I found out this thing exists today. So then I naturally joined it immediately. And You know, I had the average bombardment of unsolicited dick pics and all of those things. But I had, you know, a couple messages from this guy who was super respectful and wanted to meet me for food and never mentioned kink or sex or anything in the first, you know, 80 messages we sent to each other. So that was what ultimately led me to meeting him. Cool. What did you discover about yourself in that relationship that you didn't already know? So that was when I explored a lot of my submissive flavors that I have. 
And we actually ended up negotiating. I mean, I was a freshman college student at that point. I was on a sports team. Like I was very, very busy. I was working full time and I ended up moving into his house part time. So I would stay at my house Monday through Thursday and stay at his house Friday through Sunday. That's so hot to look forward to, too. It was so great. Like working for the weekend had a whole new definition. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, for all intents and purposes, like we were in a master slave relationship at that point in time. And it was a full blown 24 seven dynamic that even when I wasn't staying there, you know, I had my tasks, I had my, all of those fun things. Can you tell us a few specifics? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just an average day. I would have to like wake up and text him as soon as I woke up. So he knew I woke up on time. And if he hadn't gotten my text by a certain time, he would call me to wake me up. And he actually would? Yeah. That's amazing. And then I had to like send pictures throughout the day of just like, hey, I'm ready for class. This is what I'm wearing today. He would pick out all of my lingerie that I would wear daily. Love that. So I would like lay that out in advance. Usually at the beginning of the week, he would do that for me. And that's something I really liked. Like that has carried over into my current relationship also that I have a Google Drive with all of my lingerie on it. So he picks out weekly what I'm wearing. That's kind of what helped me get into my writing a lot more, I think, because three times a week I had to write something new for him. And sometimes he gave me prompts. Sometimes it was, you know, if you're feeling inspired, just write whatever you want to write. Yeah, there was a lot of like stuff that really helped me build my like creative self and just my kind of identity as an adult person. Dude, that's Awesome. How long did that relationship last in total? There isn't really an end point, I would say, because at one point we finally decided to stop having that dynamic. Mm -hmm. But he was always someone I could go back to that I was like, you know, I'm feeling all these feelings. I need someone to hit me until I Mm. cry. Like I knew he was someone that I could trust to go back to. Amazing. Are you still in contact sometimes? Unfortunately, he passed not too oh, long ago. Fuck, I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you. It was it was hard. He actually killed himself probably five years ago, six years ago now. So, Wow. Yeah, it was heavy and a lot. That was what I started going back to therapy for. So, Okay. Is there anything about that that you want to share? I mean, it was hard. I think a lot of it was kind of having to learn how to function on my own again because... Like I did that, you know, at the beginning and I developed these coping mechanisms that he then played into. So then I had to kind of reconfigure how I coped with things because he wasn't there to help me with it. Wow. Holy shit. During that relationship, did you see other people or were you like bound to this person energetically or like what was it? I saw other people. I also had a boyfriend my freshman year of college. I didn't actually come out as bisexual until my sophomore year. Okay. I was in a sorority and I used to get drunk and kiss other girls at sorority parties. Amazing. Finally, I was just like, okay, this is what I'm into. Oh my God. I spent one year, my freshman year in a sorority and I now feel like I missed the point of it. <laughs> I went to Pride, our Pride Festival at the end of my sophomore year. And I remember getting a button that said, I heart pro-choice boys. And I was like, this doesn't feel authentic. So then I also put a button on that said, I heart pro-choice girl. Yes. Fuck and yes. And that was my to my mother. Oh, wow. How did she take it? 
she said, great, can we get one of those drinks with the pineapple in it? <laughs> a celebration. <laughs> so, that was, and it was not a thing at all. Like it just happened and that was it. Wow. Okay. So did you explore your bisexuality more? Like how does that come up for you? It sounds like you are just open and playful and the exploring kind of started with the drunk sorority parties and then I started dating a former partner of mine he is trans I feel like I should and we kind of explored our identities together so he was kind of exploring his trans identity while I was exploring my bisexual identity it was kind of a weird conglomeration of things but it kind of got me into this thought of like, oh, I've always kind of thought these parts were scary, even though they were the ones that are attached to me also. Totally. And that was kind of what kept me from stopping myself with my exploration. So I just, you know, said that I was bisexual. And then I started dating ladies and also men and just whoever else. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. What else in those college years did you learn about yourself that feels particularly juicy? Or should we go on to kind of the next phase or get into specifics? Where do you want to take it now? There was a lot crammed into my college years. So I had actually, after I ended my live-in dynamic with my dom that I had then, was probably junior year. Mm -hmm. And then I actually had the same dynamic, but I was the dom with someone who then lived in my house on the weekends. Oh my gosh. How did this come to unfold? And I would love to hear also specifics of your switchy self and like how she feels and when one or the other part of her is activated. So the dynamic that I had, it was actually one of the fraternity guys that I met at one of said sorority parties. I think he was kind of getting into experimenting with things on his own also. And just kind of with us being in the same general space and same circles, he kind of realized that like, hey, I think this is someone that I'm comfortable experimenting with. And we started sleeping together in a very vanilla fashion. Well, vanilla for me fashion. Vanilla is not for me what it is for most of the general public, I don't think. Can you give us a definition? Because I do get messages from vanilla people who get angry with me for being anti-vanilla. And I don't consider myself anti-vanilla. I, in fact, do like vanilla sex if it's conscious. Right. Vanilla sex is just not something that's generally enjoyable for me. So I just consider what is vanilla for me, which would be, you know, there's going to be some light, probably choking or spanking or any of those things. So I think that's kind of my baseline vanilla in my world. So what are sex things that happen without even that for you? I would consider vanilla anything that there isn't any type of power exchange happening. So you know, it could be me spanking a boy. I still consider that vanilla in my world where most people wouldn't, I think. So if it's not an explicitly negotiated power dynamic, because that still is a power dynamic. (laughs) But then he may do it at the same time I'm doing it to him. So like, it's not a negotiated like, hey, I'm going to do this thing to you. And then it's just, hey, this is what I'm into. Let's do this. And it's not anything that there's an explicit like, I am the top, you are the bottom type dynamic. I think one of the things, too, that's so tricky for me when it comes to vanilla partners in play is my queer partners were having queer sex. Vanilla partners, I typically am doing sort of heteronormative stuff. And the heteronormative idea is that a man is supposed to lead. So in a vanilla situation where then the man does not lead because he thinks that in order to be a good feminist, I'm supposed to be in charge. 
to me, I just feel stuck and lost and I don't know what to do. And so then I'm just sort of like waiting and available. And it often turns into a situation where I am a service submissive. So then I'm just doing that without him asking. But I've also been playing with like doing less unless there is more mutuality. So for me, it just tends to feel confusing, which is not sexy and or stagnant. Yeah. I have such a hard time like defining vanilla in specific terms because like I would still consider like me pegging a cishet man as vanilla. Really? Because it doesn't have a negotiated power dynamic. Well, and just because like what isn't vanilla about that? Like we're doing it in missionary position. It's just me on top. So like what's not vanilla? Well, for many people, anything with a butthole is automatically kinky. And so that's why I love these conversations because we all societally pretend like we have some common language and we really don't like we have our own assumptions that we project all over each other and i think it's why in the past i have shocked or surprised enough people enough for them to take space from me and not fuck me after all because i'm like wait i don't share your assumption what is it and then they're like i don't know <laughs> yes, yes absolutely i took the fact that i was kinky off of my tinder bio because so many people were like assuming that they knew exactly what that meant and yeah. would slide into my dms like trying to dom yeah. me and stuff and i'm like oh no sweeney like that's not generally my dynamic <laughs> yeah i'm like oh no, no no i'm real kinky which means we got to talk about it before you think you can show up and just tell you know, me to do stuff i have a lot of conversations here yeah so what else from call it we're still kind of uh, we have so that was when i kind of i started i've written a poem about every sex partner i've ever had dude have you shared them anywhere can we find them are they on fetlife yeah they're everywhere. I actually am in the process of self-publishing them in a book. Fuck yes. Okay. I submitted them to my poetry professor in college. <sighs> when you have finished it, I hope you come back and do a guest update and share it and tell us where we can get it and read us a couple of the poems. Yes. Yeah. So that was during that time that I had a live-in submissive was when I really started digging into that more. Okay. That was also while I was taking this poetry class in college and I had to turn in a portfolio at the end of the semester. So I called it Anthology of a Slut. And <laughs> Is that what it's still called? Yes. I love it. And my very first poem that I ever wrote in regards to a sexual partner was about him. And it also had a lot of very heavy blasphemic religion in it. So that was kind of where that whole exploration into my religion kink started. And I did a lot of dominant exploration with him. And that was when I very much got into being in like female led relationships and pegging people and making people cry and all of those things. So really that like two year span that he lived with me part time was when we really dug into all of that. It started out actually with us doing a lot of public stuff. There's a group here in town that does, they are online right now, but they do monthly like kink meetups with just specific like educational events. Love. So they start with a class and then have a play party afterward. And there's a different theme every month. So we started going to those and that was like, we would just play with whatever it was that we learned at that time because neither of us were really you know, super into the kink scene. So we would be like, oh, this sounds interesting. Let's go to this class. Let's learn how to do this correctly. And then let's do it. So I think the big thing that I learned about myself during that time was that the big power wielding good feelings that I have are more that the person is willing to trust me with that kind of, at some point, literally their life 
so to have that like trust in another person is like a whole different level of intimacy. I also, I guess I haven't really talked about this at all. I'm also neurodivergent. Like I'm autistic and I have ADHD. Mm -hmm. So with the kink community, a lot of the things that come are explicit communication and things like that. So in a world where I have this trust in this partner and I also can do these things that make me feel powerful and cool and all of these things are just laid out right in front of me so I know what's yes, what's no like all of those things just kind of come together to like form the perfect situation. Okay. I have not been diagnosed, but I've read a lot of literature and had a lot of handfuls of people, like maybe four or five be like, are you on the spectrum? So maybe probably what I like about the kink community is the communication. How did you develop the trust in yourself to receive that level of trust from a partner to hold space for them. Because my biggest fear is, oh shit, my brain doesn't necessarily work the same way as that person. So like, they might say something and then I might make an assumption that I might think all these things and I have to ask every little single detail. And if they don't tell me exactly right, I might hurt them and everything will be bad. So that's actually the thing that has kept me from stepping into dominant roles in larger ways, even though there is lots of interest. How does that play out for you? I think the biggest thing was developing my communication style. And a lot of that kind of calls back to that very first big kinky relationship that I had where it was very explicit. This is exactly what I'm going to do. This is exactly how I'm going to do it. And I've adopted that with myself. So now when I'm communicating with other people, I'm it goes even back to what we were just talking about with, you know, everyone assuming we're using the same language. So I'm like, I like breath play. This is what breath play means in my world. This is how I like to, uh, you know, execute this breath play. Does that all sound okay to you? And so even in a non-sexy situation, like where we're just kind of negotiating what we like and what we're going to try and things like that, like I'm putting everything so out there that there's no gray area at all. How does your neurodivergence affect your sensory experience in the world and your interpersonal relationships communication-wise, if you can answer that at all? I know that's a tough, big question. No, I actually was in a poly, like, closed triad relationship that really kind of forced me to develop that part of myself, where I have always had this really, really innate inherent, I guess, feeling that when I get overstimulated, I shut down entirely and I don't want to talk and I don't want to communicate how I'm feeling. I just want everything to shut down and stop. Mm, Okay. But I had two partners at the time who had been married to each other for 20 years before we met. So if I didn't communicate things with them, the things were not going to be interpreted or communicated, period. And there was a lot of like unhealthy relationship dynamic in there. So there was a lot that I did need to communicate. So I had to kind of force myself through that. I want to shut down. I want everything to shut down and then over communicate. What felt to me like I was over communicating was actually like base level communication for Mm, someone who was not in that same like sensory overstimulated situation as me. I have the opposite experience so often where people are like, just stop talking now. And I'm like, I'm trying to connect. Okay. So I think I just have a totally different experience with my missives being received. When you get overstimulated, how does it show up for you? I get angry, actually, when I'm over or like 
irritable, I guess, not necessarily angry, but I'm a little more likely to like snap at someone or something along those lines. And I think I have a really good therapist actually, who is very sex and kink positive. He's a sex therapist. He's a certified sex therapist. So I can talk about all of these things with him. And he has actually worked with me over the years to like force over sensory overstimulation with my partners, basically. So I can kind of work through communicating through those overstimulation moments. Okay. What kind of things overstimulate you? Is it sound? Is it touch? Is it everything? anything (laughs) like smells too many lights too many sounds too much touch too much combination of any of those so we actually came up with one of the things that I do with my current partner is that it's kind of a mix of like sensory deprivation and sensory overstimulation all at the same time so like he'll blindfold me and put loud music on and burn candles and all of these things and also do like an impact scene while all of these other things are going on and like play with senses that way. But the way he has adapted it is he'll give me a book to read and I have to read it out loud to him (laughs) while all of this is going on. Dude, that is one of my actual fantasies that I told to a guy that I tried to, I went on like two dates with recently and he clearly thought it was weird and then didn't, we didn't hang out again. Yes. That's amazing. Out loud you have to read it. What kinds of, are they sexy books or just anything? He generally picks sexy books, but it could be anything. Um, So I never really know what to expect. That's so much. What is it like for your nervous system? It's really intense. So I was just having a conversation with someone about this the other day that like, I feel like my whole life kind of just comes back to sex always. But like the scenes you see people doing in like BDSM porn and, you know, even on FetLife with people who are actually in the community and aren't doing it because they're getting paid to do it or anything like that. Like they do these really aggressive, like heavy impact scenes, and that's like breaking someone. Wait, do you mean like breaking them in or like destroy breaking them? All of the above. All of the above. Okay, okay. So I'm wanting to dive into Fet Life more. I want to understand there's a lot of social already stuff. Followed your profile that exists. Oh, great. <laughs> yes, it exists that there's nothing on because literally, like, a couple times a month, I'm like, uh, I don't know how to show up here and yeah. these expectations. Yeah, yeah. And the people I do get messages from are either just like sweet listeners that are like, hey, I found you here, or it's like <laughs> fucking random people that I'm like, I don't know how to explain myself. Part of it is my own social fear of faux pas and not understanding. So what do you mean when someone's really a part of the community versus like sex workers don't count? Or can there be sex workers that are a part of the community? I think there definitely are sex workers that are a part of the community. And that definitely like, I think I meant more by saying that like people who are just doing it for public consumption. Oh, they're like just super into it and want to share it. This is what I'm trying to understand in the whole wide world. And it's also why I like stopped doing OnlyFans anything because I was like, something's weird here. Oh, I'm posting nudes, but they're not the nudes people are expecting. So I've been all year long on this journey to kind of like understand the assumptions between how sex is packaged and sold, especially since I have this podcast with a large audience and it's not monetized because I don't understand how to sell sex. So that's clarifying. So it's just differentiating between people who are not that into it, but are sharing it versus the ones that are like, this is my yummy thing. Yeah. The ones that are actually enjoying it and are exploring and into those things. Got it. So I was talking about how like a lot of people consider like breaking a submissive, you know, we're going to have this really, really heavy impact scene and they're crying and blah, blah, blah. Like, and that's BDSM. 
to a lot of the general public, I think. So especially with people just getting into the community, that's kind of what they expect from it. And they're like, well, I'm not going into subspace with these heavy impact scenes. And that's me too. Same. I love a good impact scene as much as anyone else, but also like I'm six foot two and weigh almost 300 pounds and have played contact sports my entire life. So like a heavy impact scene is not going to do the same thing for me as it would someone who is smaller than me or doesn't have that pain tolerance of being beat up your entire life, basically. Yeah. So for me, like the heavy, heavy or heavy impact that it's had on me. They're air quoting for our audience. We're air quoting. Sorry, I forgot we're (laughs) audio here. But like the things that have the biggest impact on me are going to be the scenes where this is going to get really deep here for a second. But one of the punishments that I had recently was that my dom was spanking me and making me say nice things about myself (gasps) because he has a rule for me that I'm not allowed to speak poorly about myself. I had a really bad day the other day that I was Mm -hmm. just like, oh, I can't do anything right. I'm blah, blah, blah. Like, so he put me over his knee and spanked me and made me say things like I was pretty and I was smart and all of these things. So like, that's the kind of stuff that's going to make me like break down and cry versus, you know, getting the shit beat out of me while I'm tied to a cross. Fuck yeah. Wow. It's amazing how catharsis can come in so many different ways, depending on our actual needs of the moment. On that note of crying, it sounded like you more like to make people cry. Absolutely. (laughs) How did that evolve? How do you like to do it? I imagine it's pretty specific to each person, depending on what stimulates their cry. It definitely is. I think a lot of it started with the submissive that I had that lived with me. I remember very clearly there was one scene that we did together that I had him chained to the ceiling in my basement. (laughs) And we were doing a really heavy impact scene, which is something that like was a very, very basic introduction to me. So like impact has always kind of been a part of my kinky experience. Mm -hmm. But we did a very heavy, heavy, heavy impact scene that I was using basically all of the impact implements that I own and was just like wailing on. I have them all hanging on my bedroom wall upstairs, but I have floggers. I have at least five or six floggers, a bunch of canes, riding crops. I have also been known to just use a variety of household items that I'm like, oh, this might be fun. So I have picked up some things over the years that, you know, I've used rope as an impact toy. I've used silicone dildos as an impact toy, like all of these things. But I was using all of those and basically hitting him as hard as I could. And he was crying. And I took that to mean that he was using his safe word because he did not. But I was like, you know, this is new to both of us. Yeah. And I stopped and he was like, why are you stopping? Don't stop. And I was like, I'm really glad you said that because I didn't want to. Wow. I've gotten to the point in my life, I feel like this is the perfect time to share this, that I can come without being touched. (laughs) You can. And so hearing him like begging for me to not stop while he was also crying was the first time that ever happened for me. So I have this thing that like, well, I have a lot of like weird brain neuron stuff going on that, so I have synesthesia. So I see colors with sounds. Cool. It kind of works just with all sounds. Like everyone kind of has a color that I just associate their like voice with or whatever. Do I have one? Yes. Yours is definitely like a warm magenta. Okay. 
Cool. So I also have misophonia, which is a physiological reaction caused by sounds. So like the people that don't like chewing sounds, that's Mm -hmm. an example of that. And that was kind of how like mouth noises have always kind of weirded me out and gave me like the creepy crawlies. Mm. But I've also learned that it's not just negative reactions to sounds. That's what I was going to ask. Are there positive ones? Like what? So like, don't stop. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that was kind of when I started exploring that with like my therapist and my doctors and stuff. I'm like, because I have a therapist that I can say like, hey, I came while someone was crying the other day. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was when we started exploring that. And he was like, well, do you get those feelings with other sounds? And then I kind of played with that some. And so I've actually had sex partners that have just like put a thigh between my legs and started dirty talking. And that yeah. did it for me. Dude, that's so hot. Yeah, it's great. Can it happen when you're just like standing there? Like if you're in the dominant role and you're beating something, like is it happening while you're doing stuff or do you have to like still focus on it? I, it can happen while I've actually, it happened at a dubstep concert one time. <laughs> cool. <laughs> So, like, the heavy bass noises really get me going. So, like, I leave a dubstep concert is when I'm, like, the horniest I will ever be in my entire life. Oh, my God. That is amazing. Okay, so you've talked a lot about your dominant parts and also your formative experiences as a submissive. What's your submissive doing right now in life? Oh, she is living her best life. My partner and I both use female pronouns for my submissive personality with him because that was very much something that I communicated I wanted to explore with him because I've always had a very masculine energy about me. So I wanted to explore some of my femininity with him. So that goes kind of along with him picking out my lingerie and things like that. Like I wear dresses to work and very stereotypically feminine things, but there's a lot of like he's a pleasure dom my former dom was a sadist so there was a lot of like even if it wasn't physically sadistic there was a lot of like i'm gonna talk to you like this or you know do these things that i know make you uncomfortable and so like this whole pleasure dom experience has been kind of new to me yeah what is it like it's awesome It's just a whole new world that like I know is out there because I tend to be a little more sadistic on my dominant personality also. And it's like a world that like I've experienced and I know it's out there, but this is my first time like firsthand experiencing it. So it's very much like, oh, I'm going to make you masturbate in front of a mirror and say nice things about yourself. (laughs) Yes. So there's a lot of focusing on those like stereotypically feminine things like he'll say like I love how soft your skin is and things like that that aren't just things that have kind of made me cringe over the years just Mm. because that wasn't my personality so it's almost like pleasure sadism which is weird that sounds amazing though I think I would feel very similarly I think one of the things that was really easy for me to receive which I wasn't conscious of when I started my submissive journey is that I'm so into degradation that it comes out in these unconscious ways that I'm now like noticing and trying to just bring fully to the consciousness so that I don't have to be degraded in my everyday life. (laughs) Yeah, I was in a webinar last night that was on high protocol master and slave relationships. And they were interviewing someone who is in a high protocol master and slave relationship where the slave in the relationship has actually like vowed irrevocable consent to their master and they're married and they've been married and have been together for a long time. And 
one of the questions that someone asked was what's the difference between your lifestyle and abuse? Hmm. And the speaker said, this one stuck with me, was the way I communicate my love is abuse without the hassle. So I actually wrote a poem with that quote at the end of it about my current partner because it really resonated with me about just kind of the different forms that love takes in different relationships and things like that. So that's kind of like my submissive is real intense right now. (laughs) Hey, wow. Is there anything that she's exploring that are kind of at her edges or that she's very just like in the yummy part of or just just like a couple of examples so we can get to know her current vibe? Yeah, I've actually been exploring a little bit kind of what it feels like to push my own boundaries in general, like these hard limits that I have for myself that I set, like you said in the intro for me, there are very few of them, but they are there. And like age play has been one that was always very hard no for me. But I communicated with my current partner that, you know, that's something I would at least be interested in exploring. Okay, what's your definition of age play? Where the submissive is generally acting a different age than they are. Great. And I think I've kind of been exploring that a little bit with him because I think a lot of the hard no I had against that was because like a lot of the time the submissive is a little girl and it kind of ties into that whole like exploring my femininity type thing that like this wasn't me. So I don't even know how to tap into that. So that's a limit for me. So we've been talking about that a little bit has been a big one that has been interesting, but we also kind of the yummy part of it. We actually have a party that we're going to on Saturday and he let me kind of help him plan the scene that we're doing together. And we are exploring some of my free use fantasies that I'm excited about that he's going to supervise and kind of just let, let run wild. So I'm really excited about that. Oh, incredible. Oh, my gosh. So take us to the other side. You're training a submissive yeah. through the internet, through yeah. life. Like, how did this come about? How did you decide? We matched on Tinder. On Tinder? <laughs> yes. How did it come to be? So that was pre-me taking that I was kinky out of my bio. Okay. And he just was very curious. It wasn't like, a, hey, I want to sleep with you. Hey, I want to do these things. It was a, what does this mean for you? Yeah. Which doesn't happen generally on tinder so i'm immediately like that perked my ears up and i was like let's talk and he was really into like you know i was like i don't want to hook up right away he does live in my town but we still have not met in person and i was like i don't want to hook up with you right away he was like i really want to explore these kinky sides of myself of you And I was like, great. Like, what do you know about kink? And he was like, basically just what I've seen in porn. And I was like, great. So what kind of porn do you watch? That was kind of how the conversation started. And so I assigned him some research. He made himself a FetLife profile and kind of dug into some things there because I generally trust for the most part that at least definitions of kinks and fetishes and things like that on that website are going to be correct because they're by people who are into them. Yeah. So that's what I generally will use for that kind of thing. So he made himself a profile and started researching. And I was like, I want you to make me a list of things that you would be interested in, things you are definitely not interested in. Like, so I can kind of cater, you know, this experience for both of us. He has tasks that he has to do weekly. We have been playing with like orgasm control. So he's not allowed to come unless I tell him. Amazing. 
generally that's on Sunday nights. That's when we have our, our online scenes. Amazing. And he really wanted to play with like edging and things like that. So I have kind of worked that into these virtual sessions that we have, which is really fun. That is so cool. Okay. You also mentioned being a cuckold dress. Yes. How and where does that fit in? Also so hot. Also tell our listeners how you experience your role as cuckold dress, what it means for you. It's fun because I just get to have fun sex and tell someone about it afterwards. So it's all the things I enjoy in life. It was, again, a dating app. I've had very good success with dating apps. Amazing. Yeah. There's also been some really, really shitty ones that I have screenshots of on my phone. The whole album. Thanks for normalizing. Also, sorry to hear it. (laughs) But we met on a dating app and he's a firefighter in my town. Ooh, yummy. Actually very open about. I don't want to say very open. I want to say more open than you would stereotypically expect from a cishet male firefighter. We met, we went on a couple dates together. He's not much into dating just because he's had some bad relationship experiences, Mm. but he is just very much into like connecting with people. Mm -hmm. And so he has generally been more dominant in his relationships. And I was like, I'm not feeling that vibe with you. Like, I don't want to be submissive with you. I'm very picky about who I'm submissive with. Yes. Great. Me too. But I was like, I'm not feeling being submissive with you, but would you be interested in me being dominant? Because like, he's a good six inches taller than I am and I'm six foot two. So like. That's incredible. How often have you ever found someone taller than you? Surprisingly often, actually. Of course. Great. Great. I love the vibe and the energy of your life. You're like, yeah, no, it is possible. This is exactly what I, this is the inspiration. We're in the here. Like, it's, we got farms. <laughs> Land of the giants. Yeah. So the first time that we had sex, he let me do like a sensory fun scene with him that wasn't super intense, but, you know, I tied him down with rope and, you know, did some wax play and things like that with him. So to just kind of explore how he felt as a submissive person. And during that scene, I was giving him a blow job and also held a vibrator against his butthole. And (sighs) I asked him first without those full consent. I don't go near buttholes without asking anyone. You already told us that how your consent vibes work. (laughs) And while I was doing that, I said, what is your biggest sexual fantasy? (laughs) Amazing. So, and if he would stop telling me, I would stop everything I was doing. So I was like forcing him to communicate with me. Oh my gosh not letting him come and so that was when he communicated with me that he had always wanted to watch a female partner of his have sex with a man in front of him and so I have my long-term friend with benefits who is also bisexual and is a six foot six rugby player Amazing. (laughs) and I was like hey can you come over (laughs) wow And he is always down for pretty much anything. So we hooked that up very quickly and just kind of started into it there. And that it's really grown and been super cool. Oh, that is incredible. Have you gotten to do it again? Or was it like a one time when you were a cuckold dress? So it's ongoing? Yeah, there have been five or six instances now. And that's mostly just because our schedules don't match up. Like I very much intend for it to happen again. And so does he, I think so. Amazing. And then what about this 
long-term friends with benefits situation. You're incredible at maintaining these relationships. I love it. He was actually, this goes back to my drunken college days that he worked with one of my roommate's boyfriends at a club. He was a bouncer and we used to go out and we would meet my roommate's boyfriend at the club afterward and he would drive us home. And so I was very drunk one night and the boyfriend came over to the table and I pointed at this friend with benefits of mine and said, bring that one home with you. Amazing. And immediately he walked over to him and was like, hey, my friend over here like wants to have sex with you. Do you want to come home with us? Because <laughs> they were like buddy, buddy. Yeah, like, they yeah. were friends together. And he did. And that was 10 years ago. Oh, wow. How wonderful. What a celebration. Wow. So you were able to just establish like this is what it is and this is our ongoing vibe. Yeah. After I was sober and we were talking, I was like, you know, I'm not interested in a relationship. Like no offense to you are not the type of person I generally date. And I don't have an interest in being a romantic partner, but I very much have an interest in being your sexual partner. So <laughs> amazing. Like we've both had different partners over the years. We've been a mixture of monogamous and in open relationships and things like that. But we both know that we're both like safe people for the other to explore with. So if there's ever anything that we want to explore that we don't necessarily have a partner for, we know we can always count on the other one. And that's pretty cool. Oh my gosh. So cool. I feel like there's just so much more to talk about with you. Can you just give us a run through of like, it sounds like you have lots of experience with group sex or different configurations. It sounds like you've experienced with play parties and all of these things. Like, any specifics of what you, your physical body love, the environment, the places, the vibe, like just I would love to hear you speak a little bit to that part of things. I love group sex. I can count on one hand the amount of times in the past probably two years that I have had sex with just one partner at a time. Amazing. Which is partially why I like being a part of the swinging community because yes. as a female presenting person, I'm very popular in swing clubs because a lot of people are looking to have threesomes. So I uh, very much enjoy them. And I always have. I think I had my first threesome when I was like 16. And the bigger the group, the better, honestly. What like, do you like about it? Is it like the touching, the specifics? Is it that you can't keep track? I love touch. Like I am very much a physical touch person. Me too. I haven't always been. So that's kind of new for me, which is kind of cool. So like the more hands, the better, honestly, like if I don't know who's putting what where and it's just there, like I'm cool with that as long as we're in a situation, obviously, that I've consented to be in. But probably the second night I was at this current swingers club that I go to regularly, they have a monthly like bye-bye night where it's primarily focused around people like couples who are both bisexual. Yeah. And I nominated myself as the president of the tall girls club because there were lots of other tall women in there with me. And I took nine women to the back room with me and we just had sex while their husbands watched. How fun. It was so much fun. And I love like... I love women, but like lady bodies and just, yeah. I feel like generally in group sex settings, women are a lot more uninhibited than they would be in normal social settings or yes. even in a group sex setting where there are a lot of men because a lot of women tend to be on their guard in my experience when there are men in bed with us and kind of trying to dictate where everything's going and who's doing what. But when you put a bunch of women in a bed together, in my experience, like everyone just kind of lets go. And that's wow. really super cool to experience. Wow. 
That's amazing. Are there any physical specifics that we haven't gotten to, like, for example, about your parts, what you love receiving, either with penetration or manual stimulation, oral or giving, that we haven't gotten to? It feels like we skipped a lot of the basics, but I'm going to give the rest of your body and not just your brain a chance to have her say. My nipples are super, super sensitive. I have very regularly had orgasms just from nipple stimulation. Generally, my clit is super overly sensitive. So like I bought myself like a magic wand that I cannot use because it's way too intense for me Mm. to the point that it's like not even pleasurable intense. So right now, the dynamic that I'm in, I'm not allowed to touch myself anyway, unless there's permission and he's there watching. So wow. Like if I'm touching myself, it's generally going to be like more surface area. So three fingers, a whole hand, like on the outside, just kind of controlling everything. I would every now and again, like DP myself with dildos in the shower. I do that. I totally do that. (laughs) It's just kind of whatever I'm into. So there isn't like a hard and fast, like this is what I go to when I'm trying to experience my own pleasure. But, you know, sometimes I just need to to call it a day and get in and out fast and Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah do you have any favorite toys that we need to know about yes mine aren't specific like penetrative toys or like vibrators but i have a pair of black elbow length leather driving gloves that are one of my absolute favorite sex accessories because they can be used in a lot of different situations and they're awesome that's amazing And a patent leather flogger that are my two favorite, favorite, favorites. That's so hot. Anything to say about giving or receiving oral sex? I love it. All of it. Giving, receiving, it's all good. My most recent choice of reward scene in my dynamic was I wanted to be tied up and just have him go down on me until he got tired of it. Amazing. How do you like to receive it? Is it just anything? Are there specific mood? Like, what is your pussy like? I do like some, like, internal stimulation generally while they're also doing it. But, like, a flat tongue on my clit and two fingers inside me is going to do it every time. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I just, I really like just the sensation of, like, mouths being on my body. So, same with giving it. I've always loved giving it. So, do you have any, like tips or tricks or specifics that you just want to speak to that you love? Oh my gosh. I do this move. It is partially it's because I have a small hands and a really big mouth. (laughs) But I do this move where I can kind of like almost put my like two first fingers in the front of my mouth. Mm. So I have, you have full hand stimulation on the front part of wherever, however you're holding the dick. And then also your tongue is on the back half. So, like, your hand's half in your mouth while you're doing it, but, like... Cool. been some really, really good reactions to that. And going down on ladies, there's... I don't know if... How familiar... Well, you you went to orchestra camp. What instrument did you play? Cello. Okay. So, you did not play a horn. I went for between my legs. <laughs> there is a very technical term called triple tonguing that you can do. And I had a high school boyfriend who played the trumpet teach me how to do it. And I use that on women and they very much like it a lot. So cool. Is that something that's Googleable? Probably. It's just very quick tongue movements, but you have to have some like pressure behind pressure. it. So it's not just like lizardy. Yeah. Is your very sensitive clit, you said if, if it's a flat tongue, it's good. Can it get overstimulated if it's too pointy? Yeah. 
or it just doesn't do it for me. Got like it. it's not. Yeah. Okay. What about turn offs? Oh boy. People who don't communicate boundaries with me is a really big turn off. I mean, for obvious reasons, but also just because like with the whole autism thing, like I'm like, I don't know if you're into this, if you don't say you're not into this. Totally. So that's a big one. And just, you know, there are just some people I don't mesh with and generally it's their whole vibe that doesn't mesh with me. So at least it's very clear. Yeah. yeah. Or if I've communicated like, hey, this is what I'm into. It, it, yeah, it all comes back to boundaries and vibes. So yep. that's very woo woo of me. But like, I actually don't think it is. I think it's really concrete because humans probably sang before they actually used words to talk. So I think all that communication that happens, even though it's hard for some people to like figure out what they actually mean. It's like, those are real things. Vibes are real. What are your hopes for your sexual life going forward? Oh my gosh. I just want to keep having fun. Like, I hope that I don't ever get bored. Do you think you will? No. There's more than enough out there for me to just keep exploring. I hope that I always find good partners who are willing to be open-minded and explore with me. The journey's a lot more fun when you have other people. Yes. May it be so. Oh, yes. Do you have anything else you want to say about sex, not just your sex life, but sex in general for society, whether it's how do you think we should make the world a sexier place or what do you wish everyone would know about sex? I just wish everyone would be cool about sex. (laughs) (laughs) What's your definition of cool about sex? As long as it's consensual and no one's non-consensually being hurt, like let people enjoy things. Let people enjoy things. Yes. Yes. Who cares? That's my sex advice. Who cares? Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Like, who cares what you're into? As long as everyone involved is consensually enjoying it, why not? Mm. So if you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sex advice, understanding that how life unfolded is obviously perfect, what age or ages would you pick and what would you say? I would probably say, like, that mid-high school age and just, like, Explore what you want to explore and don't feel like you need to be ashamed. So just that shame of not feeling ashamed, like there's no need to even feel that. Do what you want to do. Have fun with it. Be safe. I feel like you're fucking doing it. That's so great. (laughs) Jenna, thank you so much for being a guest on Sex Stories. Thank you for having me. This was great. Do you have a sex question for me? If you could pick your ideal sexual relationship, relationship as a whole, not just one scenario, what would it be? 